Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. I want to uh, look in Genesis, well really it's the end, like the last two verses of chapter 4 going into uh, chapter 5, and uh, it, it's going to seem weird reading chapter 5, uh, but there is a purpose and a point to it. So, you know, God has created this universe, and he created it for his purposes, for his glory and honor, because he is just a great holy God, but this rebellious spiritual agent led uh, his imagers astray, that he introduced sin into the world, and, um, you know, that the rebellion was brought forth, uh, but God had made a promise that, you know, there's going to be a way to turn around the rebellion, but there was going to be the spiritual aspect of things is there's always going to be the offspring of the serpent, those who are in rebellion to God. But then there's the offspring of the woman, and it would be a specific line who would eventually lead to what I call the skull crusher. You know, there's going to come one who's going to crush the skull of, you know, that almost sounds like a weird wrestling term. It's the skull crusher. But, uh, you know, there would come one who, would gonna, who was going to crush the, the, the head, the skull of, of uh, the, the serpent, would destroy the serpent. So there's these duality of lineages. And, and really, that's just the way the world has been. Those in rebellion uh, against God and those who uh, follow God remain um, true to God as, as best as they can, the way that God has provided. And, and we see this duality, you know, in the first offspring that are mentioned, uh, uh, Cain and Abel. You know, Cain, he gives into sin, he murders Abel, so, you know, Cain is cursed because of uh, the murder, but God is merciful in that he lets him live, but he lives away from the presence of God and lives away from the presence uh, of uh, most of his family. And the last time I was here, two weeks ago, we looked at the lineage of Cain, and, and to me, I just found it very interesting even, they're not part of the chosen line. I mean, they are not part of the elect line. But, you know, the, it, just because they're, they're not part of the right lineage, so to speak, you know, they're in rebellion to God, still, God uses them to fulfill his plans. I mean, you know, they still have a part in, in the, you know, the, the taking dominion of the world, subduing the world, and and. It's interesting, they introduce some things that contribute to the betterment of the world. I'm, you know, it talks about one, one of his descendants uh, doing music, introducing, you know, doing a lot of different things with music, and some who did a lot of different things with farming, and some who did things with metallurgy, you know, metals and things like that. And so even when someone is in rebellion to God, God can still use them to, to better the world because our God is that sovereign. He can do that. But obviously because of his sin, Cain is not the chosen offspring of the woman. Since Abel was killed, well, he can't be the chosen offspring of, uh, of the woman. And, and so just as two weeks ago we looked at the cursed uh, lineage of Cain, tonight we're going to look at the godly lineage, the replacement for Abel, and where it went from there. So... It's going to be a whole lot of reading real quick from Genesis 4.25 through the end of chapter 5. And it's going to sound weird because it's a genealogy. I mean, if you've ever worked on a genealogy and you know you have this branch goes this way and that branch goes that way, I mean, I'm hoping your genealogy branches off in several different directions. 
and you know it, it but we're just following one particular branch but it's a very important branch to where it leads and so beginning in verse uh, 25 of chapter 4 it says and adam knew his wife again and she bore a son and called his name seth for she said god has appointed for me another offspring instead of abel for cain killed him to seth also a son was born and he called his name enosh at that time people began to call upon the name of the lord and now we, we start kind of a new section here this is the book of the generations of adam when god created man he made him in the likeness of god male and female he created them and blessed them and named them man when they were created when adam had lived 130 years he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him seth the days of adam after he fathered seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters thus all the days that adam lived were 930 years and he died when Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. And Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. That's a mouthful. Anyone here want to name your kid Mahalalel? So he fathered Mahalalel, and Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters, and thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years, and he had other sons and daughters, and thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toils of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then the story will go from there, you know, as we, as we pick it up. And so the story of Cain and Abel is over. Abel is dead. Cain is cursed, so the promises of God are not going to come through them. God is going to have to choose another line from Adam and Eve to fulfill his purposes. And God is sovereign. He is providential. He's able to direct things and, uh, and toward his purposes. And so he does that through this particular line. You know, you notice some things, you know, reading that whole genealogy, it just repeated the same thing over and over again. This, this person lived this many years. They fathered this person. Then they lived this many years afterwards. And then they died, you know, that no one can escape the curse of sin. 
They died, they died, they died, they died. But there is a godly lineage, and God ensures that that godly lineage continues, and that's these names. Now, you know, it does say that this person had sons and daughters. They had more sons and daughters than are listed here. There's a whole lot more people than that are listed here, but we are focused in on one line, one continuous branch. And because this is what, where God has chosen. God is focusing us in on his plan. He has a plan. There is going to be the offspring of the woman who is the skull crusher. But we got to go this way to get there. This is, this is the redemption story. This is an important part of the redemption story. God has a line. He is making the way. And so it starts with Seth. So Eve has Seth. Eve puts all her hopes for a righteous lineage right there in Seth. You know, and it, he's kind of, it's going to sound weird, you know, the way that it's kind of put here. He's kind of a, kind of a replacement uh, for Abel. You know, you can't obviously replace a child, but, you know, it, it's, it's, okay, my, my hope wasn't Abel. Well, Abel's dead now, so my hope can't be in Abel anymore, so my hope now for for Eve, is in Seth. Now, the word, the name Seth is connected with the Hebrew word for granted, and so God has granted her a son through whom the promises are going to be fulfilled. Now, you know, the, the serpent thought that by working through Cain, I mean, God warned Cain, look, sin is at the door, it's ready to pounce on you, it's ready to get you, stick its fangs in you, you have to control it. Well, he didn't. And so the serpent worked through Cain, and, and the serpent thought that by, you know, inducing Cain to kill Abel, that he would kind of cut off the lineage that would lead to the one who would defeat him. So in, in, in the serpent's mind, you know, he, he's trying to cut off that line. But you know what? God makes a way. And when you read Scripture, I find, it, I find a lot of things interesting. So I'm going to say that, that word interesting here tonight a lot. Wow, this is interesting. You might think it's the most boring thing on the face of the, the earth. But when you think about it, you know, we, we, we read Scripture and we read God, His plan of redemption and the way that He makes but we also read how the serpent attempts in some way, shape, or form to either stop or defile the lineage of the one who would crush his head. And so, you know, he attempted to stop that lineage by killing Abel. Well, God made a way through Seth. You know, and you, you read, especially in uh, the books of history and... Um, you know, the book, well, even the prophets, how, you know, in, in different ways, the serpent tried to destroy Israel. And if he couldn't destroy Israel, he tried to defile Israel by having them intermingle with, with pagans. He is trying to stop the line. He's trying to stop the lineage. He is trying to stop his defeat. And we even see this in, in the New Testament because he even tried in the days of Jesus. All of a sudden, 
Here is the king. The king is born. So what does Satan do? What does the serpent do? He tries to instigate Herod into killing the child. That didn't work. So then what does he do? He, he enters into Judas to kill the Messiah. Little did he know that it was through the death of the Messiah that his defeat would come. Because you think about it, I mean, the, the, the Gospels say that Satan entered into Judas. If, if Satan thought that Jesus' death would have been the means of his defeat, he would have done everything in his power to try and prevent the death of Jesus. But he didn't. He instigated it. He's thinking, I'm going to kill the skull crusher, and then I'm free. But little did he know that it was exactly through the death of the Messiah that his defeat would come. And so now, knowing that he is ultimately defeated, he persecutes the church, who is the body of the Messiah, right? We're the body of Christ. He's persecuting the church, or he's trying to water down the effectiveness of the church through worldliness, through false teaching, or whatever, so that he can maybe delay his defeat. But it's going to happen someday. You know, what we see here is God always makes a way. And it starts here with Seth. This is the branch of the family tree that would lead to, to the defeat of the serpent. And so it starts with Seth. It moves on to one of his sons, Enosh. And, and Enosh is, is interesting. Here's one of the interesting things. So, okay, the Hebrew word for Adam, which is Adam, is also the Hebrew, one of the Hebrew words for man or humankind. And so really Adam is... is Adam's name is humanity or humankind. So he is the representative of the humanity that would come. Well, Enosh is another Hebrew word meaning man or humanity. And so in a sense, Enosh is a new Adam because from him would come the new humanity or at least through him would come the new humanity. So it's interesting. It's, it goes through Enosh. And it says that, you know, here in the days of Enosh, that people began to call on the name of the Lord. And you notice in your Bible that it's all capitalized, which means it's the divine name. Uh, people would call on Yahweh, Jehovah. That name is special because it's the name that God uses to refer to himself in covenant. It's covenant relationship. It, 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 the lineage of Seth to Enosh and, you know, thereon, the ones listed here, this is the lineage of God's covenant promise. And so people began to relate to God in this covenant promise as a covenant uh, people. And, and, and so, you know, it, it, it's saying, in a sense, that there was a time that God would be worshipped by covenant people. You know, he, he really wasn't before, but now he's being worshipped by covenant people based on his person, his character, his covenant, his works, his ways. And, and, and that lineage is in sharp contrast to the lineage of Cain, who would not worship God, who was not the covenant people, would not be part of the covenant people. Yeah, as one author stated it, in effect, by attributing to Seth's first genealogical descendant 
the innovation of public worship, the versions draw an even sharper distinction between Cain's offspring and that of Seth. Cain's firstborn and successors pioneer cities and civilized arts, but Seth's firstborn and successors pioneer worship. Is it coincidental that the next utterance of the name Lord is Lamech's prayer concerning Noah's birth and role? So worship is passed down the line. You know, we, we, we always pray maybe that we would have a heritage to pass down to the next generations. What a better heritage to pass down than the heritage of worship. And so this foreshadows maybe what would come later. These people call upon the name of the Lord. What do we do now? What are we told in Scripture to do now? We are told to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. But the name that we call upon is that of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, that, that's just the end of, of chapter 4 here, and it leads to the next section. If you remember, way back when, when I first started this study, I mentioned that the book of Genesis is, is divided into several different sections. And the new sections are introduced by this phrase, this is the book of the generations of whoever. That's how kind of the Genesis is split up. Chapter 1, going into the first few verses uh, of chapter 2, is kind of a prologue, if you want to call it that. And then in chapter 2, it says, this is the generation of the heavens and the earth. And so, it, it's talking about God, you know, it focuses in on God creating heaven and earth and putting man in its, his place to do uh, this work. Well, now, this is the generation of Adam. This is a summary of what God is going to do through these people that he created as his imagers. And so he goes through this genealogy. Now, in some of the other genealogies, uh, you know, there's a lot of genealogies uh, listed in Scripture. And a lot of them go into so much detail, and you can't keep track of who's who and what's what. And like, who's, con wait, who's connected to who now? You know, they, they have, like, these linear genealogies just go from one person to the other, but then sometimes they have, like, these vertical genealogies. Well, this person had these kids over here, and then, you know, they talk a little bit about this, these kids, but then they jump over to this guy over here and things like that, and so it's confusing sometimes, but at least this one is just straight genealogy. And a lot of times, you know, scholars think that um, in some of the genealogies, uh, that there's generations that they just kind of skip over for various reasons. Uh, but, but I don't think that's the case here because, I mean, you know, it gives specific numbers and ages and things like that. So, I mean, I think we're, we're, we are following ten generations. You know, here's Seth, you know, there's Adam, then there's Seth, and there's Enosh, and so on and so forth. So here's the hope of, of the godly line. And, and there's ten generations. But think about this, too. You know, I mentioned earlier how, I mean, the sin is just so permeating everything. Well, that, that's kind of des described here, too, because if you think about it, you had Adam, you had the original fall, you had the original sin. You know, it only took ten generations before God said, you know what, enough. I'm destroying everything. 
I mean, it only took 10 generations for God to say, that's it. Uh, I'll save one family. The, everything else is, is gone. I mean, mankind is so wicked, but, but think about this too. You know, we went here in reading that this part of Genesis, we're like, yeah, Cain and all his folks, they, they were bad, you know, they, they're just bad eggs, you know, they just came from a bad, bad seed of Cain and, and everyone else is bad. But remember what I pointed out about the genealogy that I read. Okay, so this person had this child, this son, and they had other sons and daughters. So each generation, I mean, is branching out all over the place. All of them were destroyed as well. Sin even permeated into this branch. It was so, just, there was just so much of it, right? It, it, you know, it, it says Adam had sons, other sons and daughters. All of them except this line of Seth, destroyed. It says Seth had other sons and daughters. What happened to all the rest of his branches? They were wiped out in the flood. God preserved for himself one branch out of the entire tree. I mean, I don't know how many people were on the earth at that time. I mean, we, we, we just don't know. But only eight people would survive his judgment. Noah, his wife, and his sons, and their wives. And, and, and that's it. Sin is so devastating. Sin is so destructive, and we live in a world that takes it lightly, that now we live in a world that relishes in it, that celebrates it. Didn't, didn't Paul kind of give a warning about that at the end of Romans 1? That this is the judgment of God. Not only do they participate in the sin, but they actually encourage and applaud those who participate in it. Man, if, if that isn't a description of our day and age, I don't know what is. I'm just glad that the Lord said he would not destroy the world in a flood again. But that should cause us to call out, come Lord Jesus. And to do the gospel work. But sin just permeated everything. You know, I just want to mention some quick things that I found interesting in this genealogy. One is the ages of these people. They lived for hundreds of years. Now, I have absolutely nothing to back this up. This is just pure conjecture on my part, but I'm thinking it's because that the, the gene pool was a little bit more pure than, than it is now. Uh, but, you know, who knows? I don't know. But they lived for a long time, except Enoch. And he's an interesting character. You know, it's repeated twice that Enoch walked with God. That means he had a lifestyle of devotion to God. He had a close intimacy and communion with God. And his lifespan is so much smaller. I mean, everyone's living 800, 900 years. He's 300 and something, 65 years. But, you know, it's not a negative. It says that he was not because God took him. And here in Genesis, that sounds just kind of weird, like, huh? What does that mean? And so it's sort of vague, but the New Testament kind of clears up the confusion because in Hebrews 11:5. 5, 
It says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Oh, that, that would be said of us. I wish that could be said of me. He had such a close walk with God that he didn't die. Like a normal death. I mean, he, did, it, he didn't die, he was just taken. And, you know, it reminds us of what God did with uh, Elijah. You know, Elijah, the, the chariot came down, but then there was this whirlwind that actually took Elijah up. And, um, you know, because of the way that, that Enoch was taken by God, he's the subject of a lot of myths and, and extra-biblical stories and, and writings. In fact, there, there were these Jewish works that were written a few hundred years before the days of Christ that are, that are attributed to Enoch. You know, the books of Enoch, 1st Enoch, 2nd Enoch, things like that. And, and what's interesting is that Jude quotes or alludes to some of the verses from this book of Enoch. So Enoch is interesting. Methuselah is interesting just because he's recorded as the oldest living person at 969 years. Uh, I mean, how'd you like to live that long? And, but, you know, you look at these uh, ages and these timelines, and here's another interesting thing. So, if the genealogy is direct, it doesn't skip any generations, then that would mean that Adam died only about 120 years before Noah was born. And so, Adam saw a lot going on in his day, including his descendants continuously degrading in, in sin. But here's something else that's interesting. If we got all the numbers right here, Methuselah would have died just prior to the flood, just before the flood happened. Methuselah died. So this genealogy, some interesting points in it, but it all leads to Noah. You know, Lamech gives him the name Noah. Noah means rest. It's a play on words, Hebrew words, you know, because Lamech is expressing hope for humanity through his son. You know, he, he, he was praying to, the, to God that there would be something about Noah that would set him apart. That hope for humanity and rest for humanity from, from the toil of sin would come. And in a sense it would because through him, everyone you know that there at least there would be a remnant who who survived you know he's called a righteous man later on in genesis and that alone sets him apart from the rest of the world but therein lies the reason for this genealogy because it traces god's line of hope this is the line of hope right here all all these people it's the hope of god's mercy that's shown upon humanity. And from, you know, the line of hope continues. We know because it goes from Noah, eventually to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, eventually to David and eventually to Jesus Christ. Therein is the line of hope. You know, and that ma makes me wonder, where is your line of hope? Does, is your line of hope based on family connections? You know, I, I've, I've worked on 
off and on on our, my genealogy, you know, for years. And so I might, ha I might be related to some interesting people in history, maybe. But, I mean, is that where my hope lies? You know, some people, it's, I don't know if it's funny, sad, or how you want to call it, you know, I ask people about their relationship with God. And their answer to me is, well, my, grand, my granddaddy was a preacher. Well, you know, that's great, but that has nothing to do with you and your relationship with God. <laughs> you know, I'm glad your granddaddy was a preacher, and I hope that he, he, he was true to God's word, but that has nothing to do with you. That's not where your hope lies. Does your hope lie with your talents? Does your hope lie with your skills? Or does your hope lie with the one that, that God moved all of history to? I mean, this is God moving history. God is in charge of history, and he is moving events of history toward one person, Jesus Christ. Everything was moved toward that one point. And now God is moving human history for the purpose of gaining people for his son who will worship him for all of eternity. And so my question is, do you have that hope? And if you do, how have you shared that hope with others? Because there is no other hope that this world, you know, all the craziness of the world. Oh, well, you know, our hope is that these politicians will do this. Our hope is that social justice will do that. None of that's going to work. There's only one line of hope, and that's Jesus Christ. What are we doing to share that hope with the world? Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at kidsquest underscore HBC. Our student ministry is on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening, and God bless.